Good morning. It is exciting to be wrapping up this uh, three-part series of doing life together. And uh, my name is Jerry Gibson. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's a joy to, to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, as you, if you've been with us, you've noticed, you remember that uh, Pastor Stan kicked off this series in verse 42 of Acts chapter two, talking about the patterns of biblical community, and he shared with us the commitment to study of the Word commitment to fellowship, a commitment uh, to authentic relationships, and a commitment to prayer. And then last week, in the midst of this, of this birth of the church, it was birthed in the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, God was doing awesome deeds and miracles among them. And we prayed last week for God to work in us in that way. Uh, and it was exciting to recognize how God, in the birth of his church, in the fire of the Holy Spirit, birthed community. And today, I, we're going to be looking at verses, verses 44 through 47, and it says this, And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. In their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, today, remind us again, Lord, of why you created your church. Remind us again today, Lord, of, of that burning Holy Spirit that birthed in us a community that's focused on you and on others and on the life that you want to give us. Speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you hear anything you, this morning from me, I want you to hear this. That if you desire to experience joy, I encourage you to experience biblical community because that's the outflow of what happened at the birth of the church. As God birthed his church, and we begin to see this expression of, of, of what God desired to do in his church, the outcome of it was this joy, this incredible joy that, uh, that they experienced together as they together experienced community. Look at the big picture of what's going on. This is the expression of a community we see in the, the primitive church as a natural expression of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And remember, this is still the first 100 days. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with that term, but uh, in, in administrations, for example, in the presidencies, uh, administration, uh, uh, new CEOs going in, they talk about the importance of the first 100 days because in, that, in those first 100 days, there's, there's a, a, a dynamism that happens and, and those first 100 days becomes literally a bellwether of leadership effectiveness. Well, long before the term of the first 100 days became popular for us, are recognized in leadership styles, King Jesus was establishing his leadership 
in those first hundred days of the church. And what they experienced and what the outcome was, was this joy. First and foremost, they experienced joy in giving together. They experienced joy in giving together. There's, there's, there's just something that happens in our hearts, isn't it? When we give. Now look at this verse again. Uh, all believers and all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, wait a minute here. Uh, why don't we have Christ, more Christian communes in the world if, if this was what was going on, right? It, this oftentimes get, gets asked. Why don't we live like this more as, have we gone adrift as the church, especially Americans? Are we too individualistic to... to uh, to embrace communal living. Well, let me, let me just, before you get too worried here, right? Uh, understand this, that, that this was, as we look at the New Testament, was, was a very specific case and not the normative of, and it doesn't appear to be the normative of Christian teaching throughout the New Testament. We're talking about... Uh, uh, having things in common, not communism, okay? Possessions, and this was the attitude, possessions were available to God and thus to each other. No one held tightly onto their stuff, right? Everything was available to God. And because it was available to God, it, then it became, as needed, available to others. The verb used here describes an action, and, and the Greek is very clear on this, that it describes an action that indicates an a incompleteness, an ongoing action that was happening. So the picture isn't of, of New Testament believers just showing up with all their stuff, dumping it at the apostles' feet and saying, here, figure it out. What is the, the norm of New Testament teaching and practice is, uh, is this pattern of generosity. Now, it's interesting to note that, that uh, never again do we, we uh, learn of communal living isn't spoken about in, in the Corinthian church, in the Ephesian church. It, it just never became the pattern. And interestingly enough, in chapter, Acts chapter 5, the wheels come off of this thing, Right? When uh, two people try to, to leverage this generosity factor for their own, for their own pride, for their own benefit. And, uh, and if you, I encourage you to read that chapter, Acts chapter 5, about Ananias and Sapphira. And there is a holy fear that fell over that community, recognizing that it wasn't about just simply giving their stuff, but it's always a matter of the motivation of the heart. And joyful giving is always about the motivation of our heart. Now let me just touch briefly on a, on a few things here. New Testament mindset about giving. First and foremost, it's about stewardship. As they mentioned here, and as I mentioned, I'm not the owner. The attitude is this stuff doesn't belong to me. I'm simply a steward. I'm simply put in charge, but all of this belongs to God. There's, 
there seems to be prevalent this New Testament mindset about generosity is, is really focused on responsibility. What is the need in front of you? And in James, he talks about that this is true religion, taking care of the, the widow and the orphan. Taking care of the needs that are right in front of us, recognizing our responsibility. I may not be able, and believe me, having lived uh, in third world countries, folks, if you try to simply respond to every need you see, it will make you crazy. It will make you crazy. So we, we can't provide for every need, but as the Holy Spirit puts needs in front of me, I can respond to them. Does that make sense? And then, uh, then this New Testament mindset about giving also is about responsiveness. That generosity comes from awareness. Generosity flows out of what I become aware of around me. And, uh, and honestly, this is one of the biggest things that we struggle with in our societies today. Especially in American society where we can, we can easily jump in our car, open the garage door, back out, drive to work, walk, pull into our parking garage, go upstairs. You, you can easily isolate yourself. You come home and, and the garage door is opening as you drive around the corner and you never, you become, we become insulated in our world. And we don't, we don't really have that opportunity to become aware of, uh, of the needs around us. Well, I tell you, there is such a joy when we begin to experience generosity. And I, and I ask myself, that it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Which comes first, generosity, and which brings joy? Or does joy bring generosity? Well, you know, either way, I'm not sure it matters, like the chicken or the egg. Either way, it seems to be a natural outflow of community and what God wants to do in us. You know, there was a, when we were youth pastors in Grants Pass, uh, Pastor Stan Russell was a, was a leader among the, among the youth leaders in, in Oregon. And he would, in his role, he would come down and visit Gwen and I and our family there in Grants Pass from time to time. And every time he came, he would show up with a big smile on his face, right? And a big bag of candy. You, he talks a lot about candy. You notice that? And I, I mean, he had the, this biggest grin and a big bag of candy, and he would, quit, he would ask, where's your kids? Yeah, now moms are going, oh, you only give my kids a bunch of candy. But he would love to bring my kids candy, and they were just young at the time. They were uh, three, four, six years of age. And, and when they saw, they saw Stan coming, they were thrilled. It gave them joy to see Stan, right? Well, one night, uh, Stan was with us visiting, and, and, and as our custom, I went in to pray with my kids, and, and I invited Stan to go along. And so we went in, and we were, I'm praying with Daniel. And Daniel's three and a half, four, somewhere in there, and, and he, uh, he, 
he starts praying, dear Jesus, Jesus, thank you, thank you for, for, thank you for stand a candy man and the candy that he brings us. <laughs> and he was sincere. He was sincere. Even today, uh, anytime my kids are around, the last appointment my, one of my sons had with Pastor Stan, guess what happened? He's sitting in Starbucks and Stan shows up with a smile on his face and a bag of candy in his hand. He's 26 years old for Pete's sake, you know? But you know what? It brings us joy to give. There's, there's a joyfulness. And this was, this was the attitude of the New Testament church as they gave. You know, I, I never become more like God than when I give. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave. And in that moment that I express my heart of giving and generosity, I become just a little bit more like my maker. Because that's what God did. He gave. And uh, and this morning, I'm excited to, to just mention again, I know we've, we've launched this before, it's been talked about here, but I want to I point out to you thank you list. Because thank you list, thankyoulist.org is uh, where you'll find it, and there, we have a slide for that. But thank you list is a tool for the body of Christ. It's something we can use together, and, uh, and it's simply a tool to express your Christ-like community-mindedness. It gives us a tool to become aware of needs. And what's, what's new and, and very exciting about Thank You List is, one, it costs absolutely nothing for you to use. Okay? You can log in. As, as a church member, you, you go to horizon.thankyoulist.org. And as a church member, you can log in, create an account, costs you absolutely nothing, and there, not only can you post resources, things that you have available that you want to share with the community, but it also, and more importantly, now it gives the ability for people to post needs. It gives us that key to what we haven't had before, and that is awareness. To become aware of the needs around us. Because it's out, of, it's out of awareness that generosity flows, right? I remember as a, as a missionary on the field, my kids would get, thank, would get birthday cards from people they didn't know. And it somehow, you know, they, they'd open it up, they'd look at it. The first couple were, were interesting, but after that it was like, it didn't mean anything. It, they wanted it to mean something, but... There was no relationship there. Thank you list gives us a tool and give, for the giving in the context of relationship. It's giving in the context of relationship, and let me tell you, that brings pure joy. If you want to find more joy, find a community where you can give. Give your time. Give your resources and give yourself. That's what community is about. 
This, this New Testament church also experienced joy just simply in being together. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This thought of togetherness, you know, they, they held in common beliefs and they held, in, they held common meetings. Uh, physically, for them all, remember, and the Lord added to the church 3,000 in one day, physically, there was no place physically for, that they could meet together except at the temple courts. That was the only place available to them that they could meet. And, and meet together, they, they did. Uh, the benefits of a large church gathering, the benefits of gathering together in a, in a greater group, what, what does that look like? And why would we even want to do that? Well, let me tell you, first and foremost, there's a celebration factor that comes. You, the more people you get together, the bigger the party is, Right? And I tell you, it, 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 when you get the body of Christ together, there is a celebration that can't be equaled when it's just a few of us, right? It's a good time. Identification. When, when we're all together, we look around and we say, wow, you know, this kingdom of God thing really is bigger than, than just us. It really is bigger than than." just the few people that we might sit together with here on a Sunday morning. This kingdom of God is way bigger, and God is doing something exciting through it. There's, a, there's this instruction quotient that, that happens where, where we can come together to hear from men and women of God as God has put words in their heart for instruction and for growth and for, for uh, strength. And then, of course, diversity. Because, what's the old saying? Birds of a feather flock together, right? Our natural tendency is to, is to just be with people like us, right? And that's okay. That, 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 that's part of the natural tendency of man. However, when, when we gather in large groups, there's, there's the opportunity to see the diversity of the body like never before. And I tell you what, that, that is exciting. I, I will never forget one of the greatest missionary moments I ever experienced. One, one of, the, one of the, the funnest moments of my time was when I was able to attend the world prayer meeting in Sao Paulo, Brazil in 2002. Now, let me tell you, the Brazilian church is powerful and strong and large. They rented an airfield at, in Sao Paulo, an old airfield. They rented it so that they would have enough room for the crowd they were expecting. And the crowd did come. They estimated that day while just a few weeks prior, the, the Pope had come and visited Brazil, and they, they figured it was about a half a million. That day, the church gathered together to pray, and it was, it was a million people. 
Now, as a guest, there's only, there only probably 25,000 of us from around the world that had gathered there. But when the church came to pray together and to celebrate together, they, they had a, some of us delegates up on this platform. I got to be up the front, and I'm looking out. And I will, I will never forget the experience where a million people standing to their feet, both hands raised. That's at two million, right? My, my math okay? Okay. <laughs> Two million hands waving in the air, praising in Portuguese, hallelujah Jesus, hallelujah Jesus. They just kept singing this song over and over again. Hallelujah Jesus. And I, and I tell you, there is something. There is something amazing. And, and for me, it was a glimpse of what heaven's gonna look like when the 24 elders and this great throng that is talked, as John the Revelator talks about, of people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered together, worshiping the Lord. There is a joy that comes in the large group celebration. And, and yet, and yet, in a large group, if that's the only thing we do, now, I'm sure this is not the case with you. But in a large group, you know what I can do? I can hide. I can hide. I can hide out. In fact, I was reflecting on it this morning. I'll, I'm pretty sure, except for maybe six people in this world, and now all of you in, here at Horizon, there are, there are probably only six or seven people in the world that even knew I was there in Sao Paulo. I got to experience it. It was awesome. But uh, yeah, really there's probably just a handful of people that ever even knew I was there. The challenge of just going with the large group while there's great joy, it's a, it's a lot of fun, celebration, the challenge is that we can hide. We can become unknown. And that's why we need both and. Both and. It, it, there, there is, there is a... Uh, it, not an either-or mentality, but a both-and. The power of and, when you put things together, it's like, having, yeah, one wing on an airplane might be okay, but two is better. <laughs> you know, which is more important, the left or the right? Hey, we want them both, right? So we need that small group intimacy. We need life-giving groups. And I'm talking about being real, authentic, life-giving groups. The last thing we want is for us to, to simply arrange our bodies in a circle, and yet on the inside our souls are turned away. No one wants that, because that's empty. And let me confess to you, the last four years in Spain, as Gwen and I ministered there, we were directors of a of a media group there uh, are part, as part of our mission. I have a confession to make. 
I told you last time, I'm spill your guts, Gibson, right? And, uh, and that is this, that when, we, when it came time for us to choose a, a church in Spain, we chose a church in part, well, one, we loved the pastor. We really did like him. And we liked the people. They were friendly. But you know what? What, what entered into the equation, and I, this is a terrible confession. I'm sure nobody here would ever do this. But uh, we, we decided we would go to that church in part because it was just far enough away that we wouldn't have to come during the middle of the week and that we wouldn't have to get involved. Is that a terrible thing to say? <laughs> Gwen's going, I can't believe you just said that. It was my decision. It was my decision. It, it, we, uh, yeah, we, we kind of calculated that out. Okay, well, we go there, and because of the traffic, because of the distance, because of the time, we had a good excuse not to, not to connect, really connect with people face-to-face. Nobody else ever does anything quite like that, right? I'm a, it's just me. But let me tell you, it hurt us. It hurt. It hurt us. While I was the, the great missionary man of God, I dried on the vine from lack of relationship. It hurt. And this morning, I, I really felt like there might be, there might, just might be, few people in this kind of crowd where you maybe never articulated it even to yourself that way, but there's a sense that yeah, it's comfortable just to kind of come in and sit. But there's a danger. Let me warn you, there's a danger. Because when you're not connected, there's, there's a, a part of us that, that tends to dry up. You say, Jerry, why do we emphasize life groups so much? And by the way, those life groups, forms are on your, on your chair next to you or you found one when you came in. And you can, there is still time to sign up. This is our last day of, of sign-ups for that. And there are still seven groups that, uh, a, a minimum of seven groups that are still open and uh, waiting for you to find your place in that small community because it brings joy. It really does bring joy. Why do we push life groups? Well, first, because it's who God is. You see, that small community, is, is a, it, it is in the spiritual DNA of who we are because it is who God is. God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we see it from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 where... Uh, or verse 26, where he says, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish and the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. Did you catch that? Let us 
make man in our image and, and by, after our nature. God himself is God, the God of community. He functions and lives in that perfect unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he put that DNA in us. He put that DNA in us to live in that kind of community. We recognize that we push community, it's because, because it's how Jesus lived. It's how Jesus lived when he came to earth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 3, it, Mark describes the actions here where it says, and he settled on 12 and designated them to be apostles. The plan was that they would be with him and he would send them out to proclaim the word. Mark three fourteen. Did you catch that? The plan was for what? For them to be with him. Jesus, strategically, when he was planting his church, when he was determining the future of the church, he chose 12 just to be with him. That was priority one, to spend time with Jesus in community. He chose 12 because the, the personal dynamics between them always brought out great teaching points. <laughs> right? When... When the two, of, two brothers came and said, hey, we want to be on the left and the right. And then everybody's, you know, the rest of them start grumbling. Great teaching point about humility and, being, and serving one another, right? There are, great, there are great teaching moments when we live in community, when we're doing life together. Because it, cre it does create that holy tension, Right? When we live in an authentic community. And then uh, we push and believe in, in uh, these life groups and living in community because it's what Jesus prayed. It's what he prayed. When in John 17, verse 21, Jesus is praying, he says, the goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I am you so that they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that in fact you sent me. One translation says, as, as you and I are one, so that they might be one. Think about that for a moment. Jesus prayed it. He prayed for unity he prayed for that community. He, his prayer and longing is that we would experience the same kind of community that, that is experienced within the Trinity. Think of that. Well, is that even possible? Well, I would ask you, would Jesus have prayed it if it weren't possible? Was he praying just something pie in the sky that, that that can never happen? Or is that the deepest longing of his heart for his church? We believe in these life groups because it's how Jesus prayed. And then finally, they experience joy as they thrive together. <laughs> 
They thrived. And the, and the verse here, verse 7, or 47, just keeps rolling on. As that they were meeting together with sincere and joyful hearts, comma, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's how the primitive church thrived, folks. In that community, this new fledgling group of believers, as God was adding to the church, they were thriving together with this kind of joy. I would submit to you that when we talk about witness and evangelism, in our American mentality, we, we, we always couch those things in, in kind of our cultural understanding of, uh, of individualism. When Jesus said and declared, I will make you fishers of men, he was talking to the 12. He was, he was talking to the group. He was talking to more than just one. You know, my idea of fishing is that pole, right? Give me a cane pole and, you know, we'll go out to the pond and, and catch us some fish. But I like, like Pastor Stan shared there a couple of Sundays back, hey, they got out the net, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and fishing in the context of that culture was, was a group experience. Witness, witness is an act of the community. Our best witness is not about individualism, but it's about community. And it's a community of love. John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you, have, if you love one another. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis make this, write this comment. It is our cross love for each other that proclaims the truth of the gospel to a watching and skeptical world. In our experience, people are often attracted to the Christian community because they are attracted first. They are attracted to the Christian community before they are attracted to the Christian message. When we're loving each other, when we have that, that ability, that, that, that joy of gathering together and loving one another, we become a better witness. It's a way better witness. When we're a community of action, Matthew 4, 18 and 19, and as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you, you two, together, fishers of men. This verse really came into focus for me when uh, one morning, early, early in the morning, I think it was about six o'clock. That's really early for me. I don't know. Why. We were in Acapulco for a conference doing some ministry. I know, tough assignment, right? Really. We were there for ministry. But, uh, I was in a, in a hotel downtown, and I stepped out onto our balcony. It was at one of these high-rise hotels. And there is not a person on the beach. The place was absolutely empty. And I'm, I'm drinking coffee, and I'm praying, and I'm reading my Bible, sitting on this balcony, and, and up pulls 
this, this small boat, and there's like six guys in this boat. I mean, the, 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 the thing is sitting low in the water. They're just, there's just a few inches before it, the water's coming over the side. They had this thing way overloaded. Well, they pull up, they just motor up slow up to the beach, and three guys jump out. And I see them, and they, and they take, and they, they take out, the, out of this big pile on the bottom of the boat one end of what apparently was a net. And, and they took, and once they had the net on shore, one end of it, they pushed the boat back around, and the other three guys stayed in the boat, went way out and made a big U and landed about 100 feet down the beach. And they pulled the boat up, and the, and the other three of them, they jumped out, and they start pulling in the net. And at first, it's pretty easy, right? I mean, there's very little pressure. It's mostly just water flowing through it. And, they're, and so they're pulling hand over hand pretty fast. But as that net began to draw closer to shore, it got a little tougher. The weight of, of the tension of the, the fish in the net, the weight of, of the net itself, all of it together required more energy, more coordination, more working together. And it was at that moment that the Holy Spirit reminded me of this verse. It said, you will be my witnesses. I will make you fishers of men together. Folks, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking more about serving our community. And we're going to have our missions conference and, and there's going to be, there's going to be pr- presentations of opportunities for us to serve together. Can I tell you, when we will act in community together, our witness in this world will become so much more powerful. When we will pull together on that net, the harvest is going to be much more significant. And there is such a joy So this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're not part of both a large community and a small community, that small group ministry, I want to encourage you to to do your very best. If it works in your schedule, in your life, if there's a a place, I'm just telling you, it is the critical moment for us to do life together. That bracelet that's sitting on your chair this morning, you you're welcome to take that. And you know what? It's not about whether you're officially in some program, right? This is not about Horizon building our numbers. This is about you connecting with the community of God. And that little bracelet, you're welcome to take it. And, uh, and just remember, we can do life together. And you can take that, uh, that quick sheet if you desire to, to be in one of these groups. Be sure to either drop it in the offering this morning or you can take it out to the table or you can sign up online. But I, I encourage you to take that step of faith today and find joy. See, it's not about a program. It's about you finding your tribe, you finding your place, expressing the God DNA within you 
and finding that joy. I'll never forget as, uh, as a 10-year-old kid. Now, I don't remember very many things. I was a rascal as a, as a 10-year-old kid. I mean, here's, here's an example. My third grade teacher tied me in my chair at school with a jump rope. Uh, I was just that social kid that wanted to go everywhere, right? So, you know, I, I don't remember too many deep things, but I will never forget this, and it came from, from uh, Jane Schmidt, past, uh, Karen Russell's mom, David Schmidt's mother. She was, my, she was our, our Sunday school superintendent, and, and one little lesson has stuck with me all these years. I still remember it. It was a lesson on joy, and she, and she simply said this, Joy, if you want to find joy, it's spelled this way. Jesus first, others second, and you last. If you'll put it in that order, it's spelled Jesus first, others second, and you coming in last. You can find joy. And this morning, the Lord has brought you here to experience joy together.